Good morning, church family. Uh, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 28. Acts, chapter 28. Today is part one of our final two messages in this series. And we started the book of Acts back in January of 2021. Um, finally about to wrap it up. So uh, while the kids are, are finding the bingo pictures. Hey, by the way, for those of you who have, who, who have kids here that haven't heard this before, the purpose of the bingo pictures, well, it's really to keep you engaged, but the, the purpose of the bingo pictures is for you to find all but one, okay, on your bingo sheet. Figure out which one is missing. There are 23 pictures hidden in this slide, in this slideshow, and there are 24 on your sheet. Figure out which one is missing. Afterwards, come up, take a prize. I'm going to have to redo that prize box pretty soon. It's getting kind of low. But uh, anyway, just wanted to let you guys know that. So we're going to do a refresher on what's occurring in this passage. You may remember that Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem for preaching the good news. Uh, the crowd there tried to kill him, but he was, uh, he was rescued by a Roman officer. The Roman officer later learns, as he was about to torture him illegally, later learned that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so he protected him uh, from the assassins. There were 40 men who were going to, they had gone a, a pact to fast until they had killed Paul. Um, I assume they probably broke that fast eventually because they failed to kill Paul. But anyway, so they protected him. Uh, this group of 200 spearmen and whatnot protected Paul. They brought him to the governor. The governor kept Paul around for more than two years. Um, and the, he wasn't setting him free because according to the author Luke, he wanted Jew, to do the Jews a favor. He was also trying to get a bribe from Paul. Um, of course, the, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem were hostile toward Paul because he was preaching a, a different uh, understanding of God's word. And so um, a new governor comes into place. Uh, you remember he brought the king and queen of Israel in. And they heard Paul, they, they uh, got to hear the gospel, and, and they were ready to release Paul, but he appealed to Caesar, and so they were obliged to, to give him his request. And so as a result, Paul's placed on a ship, uh, the ship is sailing to Rome, and it was caught in a massive storm, you remember this, and it was destroyed off the coast of the island of Malta, but miraculously, God allowed or caused every single one of those 276 people to make it safely to shore which is wonderful, uh, even though many of them did not swim. Um, and then last week, we looked at what happened as a result of that shipwreck because of, because of this, I'm going to put this in quotes, unplanned detour, uh, which God clearly had planned. Uh, many, many people on the island of Malta were exposed to the gospel, and that led to eternal life for many of the residents of that island. In fact, according to tradition, the result of Paul's three months of Malta was roughly four centuries of unbroken Christian influence on that island. And this is an awesome reminder, guys, that God can use even our most devastating tragedies in our lives to bless others, sometimes even to bless us. Sometimes he saves people through our tragedies. So don't discount what the Lord can do in your life whenever you, you, you feel like things aren't going according to your plan. Now, this week... We're going to see how Paul's journey continued from the island of Malta to Rome. Uh, by the way, it's been said that the book of Acts may feel like kind of a biography of the Apostle Paul, but it's not. Okay, the, the point of this book is to show how the Holy Spirit took the gospel further and further to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that that's what they were going to do, and that's what they did. And it's, it's also been said that we are currently living in Acts 29 because the Holy Spirit is still working among God's people today today 
to advance the cause of the good news. So with all this in mind, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the chance to be able to preach your word to your people through the power of your spirit. I ask, Father, that every person here responds to what is planted today. Help us to be humble recipients. I thank you for being our good, good father. I thank you for uh, both of the men in my life, my biological dad and, and my uh, father-in-law, who have shown me uh, great examples of, of Christ's love and of kindness and generosity and patience in their lives. God, I pray that you'll help me to be that for my kids. Father, uh, just ask in, in Jesus' name today that the roots uh, go down deep and as the seed is planted that they'll bear great fruit for your kingdom's sake. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're wondering what, what is the theme of our last two messages in the book of Acts, our emphasis is on living out the faith in the same way that the Apostle Paul uh, was living it out. And so all of our points are going to fall under this heading today. Like Paul, we want to live in a certain way, okay? So as we read through the next several verses, I want you to try to pay attention to what Paul does in each set of circumstances that he ends up dealing with. Uh, so starting in verse 11, after three months, that's on the island of Malta, we set sail in the ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead, the, the, the twin gods was uh, is a common name for a couple of mythical deities, Castor and Pollux. Sailors thought they would protect ships, uh, sort of like some people view patron saints. It was that type thing. Uh, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to patchouli. I, I think that's how that's pronounced. That makes me think of the hippie oil. I don't know. But you know that stuff? It smells like dirt. I'm just saying uh, you may remember, <laughs> if you wear patchouli, forgive me, but you smell like dirt. Um, you may remember from geography class uh, that Rome is about halfway up uh, the boot of Italy, which looks like it's kicking Sicily, which is north of Malta. Uh, so Luke is describing bypassing Sicily. You know, I want to just mention for the record that Greg gave me a laser so I could use it as a pointer, and I completely forgot. Sorry. Um, anyway, so Luke is talking about he's bypassing Sicily. He's heading up the port cities on the west coast of Italy, okay? And Patchouli is about 100 miles or so southeast of Rome by boat. And anyway, he says, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Three taverns is about a two-day round trip. Uh, the Forum at Appius was about a three-day round trip, okay, by foot. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Friends, like Paul, we need to live in community with other believers. Okay? If you are a professing Christian, this is more for you folks listening online, but if you are a professing Christian who is not currently connected to a body of believers, okay, to a body of other Christians, and the situation is by your free choice, I ask you to consider whether you're living according to God's command or God's design. There's so much value in being engaged with a body of fellow Christians. You have the opportunity to, to minister to others by exercising your spiritual gifts, and also it provides an opportunity for others to minister to you out of their own gifting. And it provides more and more opportunities for, for, for you to be edified 
by observing the examples of other Christians, and, and you experience that, that mutual strengthening of your resolve to live out the Christian life. I think in this society, as it continues to go down a spiral of depravity, we need this. We need this community. It creates relationships by which you can be nourished. So to pass, to pass up on, on all of these benefits that you have from being a part of a community, is, it's irresponsible at best, okay? And it's damaging at worst. Now, in this passage, we see also how vital this community is to Paul. He shows his thankfulness by expressing gratitude to God, which I think that's a totally appropriate response to a nurturing community of believers is to thank God for them. You know, in America, there's, there's a church available within a short driving distance to almost anybody. Some of us have several churches within walking distance. And, and we're in a place where we live, we are, we are often physically close to our believing neighbors. You know, and, and I think sometimes we take for granted how, how great a blessing that is to be able to be connected to other Christians. You know, if, if you feel that you have been uh, given a great blessing by being a part of a godly fellowship, I hope that you regularly praise God and thank Him for that privilege. I frequently thank Him for this congregation. And I thank Him for, for the, the many believing neighbors and, and friends that we have around us. I thank him especially for my faithful parents and for my family. This, this is one of the greatest blessings that we can enjoy as believers is the community of faith. Uh, secondly, I want you to notice that Paul and company were encouraging one another. Now, Luke doesn't specifically say here that Paul was an encouragement to the other Christians, but it's certainly implied here. And it's, it's stated explicitly elsewhere in Scripture. We are told that, that Paul, though, here, it says he was encouraged by them. He was encouraged by these brothers who had come several days round trip to come and visit with him. It's, and I'll bet that was a, a real encouragement also to experience a full week of hospitality. You know, when, when he was in Patchouli and all these Christians were ministering to him, he may have been otherwise unknown to them and vice versa. But they saw Paul and they... They recognized that he was a minister of Jesus Christ and a missionary, and so they took care of him for that week. I, I think it's hard to, to overstate or to overestimate the ministry of presence. And this is a, by the way, that's E-N-C-E, okay? Not E-N-T-S, all right? It's being with people. That, that ministry of presence is part of the reason that I encourage people. And I think that Paul and, and that God encourages people so strongly to come to worship on Sunday mornings if you're able to because your presence or, or your absence is felt. It's felt. Remember, you're, you're not just here to be fed and to be encouraged. You're also here so you can feed and encourage others. So just putting that out there. Anyway, let's keep reading. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Now, but before we read any further, I want you to see if you can realize just how careful he is in saying what he's saying here, Okay. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty 
in my case, but because the Jews objected. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. What you notice, Paul is being very careful not to offend these Jewish leaders who came to him. He, he wants to make sure they understand he has no desire for any kind of vengeance or retribution against the nation of Israel for what they've done. It, that he's, he's, he's putting all that behind him. Okay? He even kind of leaves out the fact that he was pretty much badly mistreated when he was in their custody. Okay? The point is, is not to push anybody away so that he has the best possible opportunity to share the good news with them. And their response, actually, I feel like it's pretty gracious too. They said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. So remember, he's talking about the way. That's what Christians were called in this point, okay? They're saying, look, we, we, we know that this is a, a very um, controversial sect that you're a part of. But so far, we haven't heard anything bad. So they're being very gracious. They're being open. They're giving him a chance to talk, okay? I think what we learn here from Paul's interaction is that it's good for us to either take every opportunity that God gives us or even make our own opportunities in order to make inroads for conversation with people who are not yet hostile to the gospel. Yeah, I want you to notice Paul himself specifically reached out to these Jewish leaders, right? It says he, he called them, he asked them to come to him. And I think it's fair for us to see from his example that we should be willing to reach out to potential listeners, okay, specifically with reference to the gospel message. Now, Paul alludes to this by saying uh, that it is due to the hope of Israel that he is in chains. This, this would have been an interesting statement, I think, for the local Jewish leaders because they, they all would have understood that it's a reference to the Messiah that they'd been waiting for all this time. I, th I think it's notable, though, that Paul shows restraint in this particular situation because rather, I mean, he, think about it. Instead of unloading everything that he had on these Jewish leaders, sometimes people call this the, the shotgun approach, right? Um, young preachers do this sometimes. When they, they, I'm not a young preacher, so I can say this. Um, when, when, they, when they, you know, first start preaching, a lot of times they just dump everything they have on the congregation, and a lot of times it's, it's like throwing a handful of sand instead of a softball, okay? Paul doesn't do this. He, he sort of primed the pump instead. He gave them a little taste of what was to come in their dialogue, and, and I, I want to ask you this, okay? Why do you think he didn't just dump the entire gospel message on them right at that moment? You'll have to answer out loud. Just think about that for a second. Why do you hold off? I think in our, our tradition, our Christian tradition, we sometimes put a strong emphasis on getting people to the point of decision in our first gospel interaction with them, okay? And that's not necessarily wrong. I'm not dogging that, okay? I just want you to understand. But, but the Apostle Paul shows that's not necessarily always the right approach, okay? 
Because as we're going to see in the next couple of verses, by simply dropping a hint to his message rather than, than the whole thing, Paul opened the door to a much larger group to whom he could preach the gospel. And so from this, I think it's fair to say that Christians don't have to feel pressured to close. Okay? If you know what I'm talking about when I say close, I mean close the deal. Here's what I mean. Over the last few decades, it feels like there's been a real push to, to get people to, to say the sinner's prayer or to get into the water, you know, based on one encounter or one conversation, even if there's no evidence that that person is truly repentant and believing on Jesus. Paul's example here shows us it's okay to plant a seed and then give it some time to get watered and give it some time to grow before trying to harvest it. Don't take this the wrong way. I, I do believe that there are many people who have been saved from a one-time encounter. We see a lot of those in the book of Acts, okay? But that said, statistics show us that the vast majority of those who, who accept Christ at a crusade or, or some similar you know, situation are not walking with him just a few months later. So rather than feeling pressured to close the deal, let's remember that Jesus doesn't command his followers to make converts. He commands his followers to make disciples. Church, who makes converts? The Holy Spirit. I didn't hear enough people say that. I don't think we know that. Who makes converts? The Holy Spirit makes the converts, friends. The Holy Spirit does that work. If you're the Holy Spirit, raise your hand. That's what I thought, okay? So just bear that in mind. God makes the converts. We share the gospel with people faithfully, and we allow the Holy Spirit to make the conversion. That's his work. And then we make disciples with those whom God is converting or has converted or is working on converting. Remember, Jesus' disciples were called his disciples before they ever received the Holy Spirit. Remember that, okay? Continuing on, when they, that's, that's the Jewish leaders, had appointed a day for him, Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. See, see, this was the goal of sharing only so much information the first time. It gives him an opportunity to preach the gospel to a larger crowd, okay? From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Now, in case you didn't catch that, Paul taught this crowd from morning to evening, okay? Same. What was he expounding to them? Jesus being the Son of God. He was expounding to them the truth that Jesus is God's Messiah and that he died to pay for the sins of man and that he was buried, and that he rose again, all according to the scriptures, just as he said that he would. And that is the gospel message in a nutshell. But see, Paul, this is so cool. Paul was preaching it to Jews out of the Old Testament. And that is just awesome to think about. I think sometimes we, we, we think of the Bible and we think of the Old Testament as, as irrelevant. That is, that is not the case. The Old Testament is the very scriptures by which Paul and Peter and the other apostles led people to Jesus as the Messiah. It's the Old Testament that Paul's referring to 
when he talks about how all scripture is breathed out by God. It's powerful stuff. I want you to think about this, the law of Moses. If you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you need your coffee, I know, to read the book of Leviticus. It's a difficult book, okay? I'm, not, I'm, I'm a, a pastor, and I'm going to admit it. It's tough to get through sometimes. You look at that and you go, how does that apply to me? Let me tell you something. That whole sacrificial system is there for a reason. It is a prototype that Christ would later fulfill. But more than that, Jesus was the promised blessing that, was, that God swore to Abram was going to come to all nations in Genesis 12. Jesus was the archetype of the Passover lamb from Exodus 12, that God would pass over those who were covered by his blood. Jesus was the prophet like Moses that would arise from among his brothers mentioned in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus was the life-giving rock that Moses struck to bring forth water for the Israelites in the book of Numbers, in the prophets. Jesus was the one who would sit on David's throne that God promised in 2 Samuel 7. He was, he was the suffering servant that was explicitly described in Isaiah 53. He's the ruler of old from Micah 5.2. He's, he's the son of man who rides on the clouds with the ancient of days in Daniel 7. By the way, look, look, look in your bulletin insert. If you're like, that's too many passages. Look, it's all right there, okay? Go back and look later if you need to see these. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. He is all over the Old Testament. So Paul was explaining the gospel through the lens of the law and the prophets for the sake of the Jews. And we see by, this, by the amount of time and energy that's, that's, that Paul has poured into this presentation that he was practicing importunity. Importunity, that's a word you may not be familiar with. We don't use it a lot today, but you ought to become familiar with it so that you can learn to be it, okay? You need to learn to practice importunity too. When you read the word in literature, okay, sometimes it's, it's used in a negative sense because of what it means, but a good definition of importunity might be shameless and insistent entreating. Shameless and insistent entreating. In other words, being so persistent that you just don't want to take no for an answer. It might even come across like begging. Some of this description may bother some of you, but I want you to bear with me, okay? Sharing the gospel message with someone and trying with all your might to convince them of its truth, as long as that person is willing to listen to you, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Begging is not the same thing as nagging. Okay, nagging is reminding someone of something they haven't forgotten. Okay, you need to understand the difference. But begging someone, not for your sake, but for their sake, that is a noble and worthwhile thing. And we see it happen all through the New Testament. As long as people will listen, do not apologize for being assertive with the gospel. You know, when, when Paul had an audience, he only rarely, especially with the Jews, he only rarely felt like he had to dial it back. But he was that aggressive. He practiced importunity in this way because he was ever mindful of the stakes, and we should be too. Remember, there are people, friends, who will enter into eternal life because they receive the message of Jesus. And there are others who are 
they're going to enter into eternal punishment because of their refusal to believe. And Jesus has put his message in us to share with the world. Why are we here? To love God, to love others, to serve the least, and to what? Reach the lost. That's what we're here for. That's why this church exists. That's why the church exists. Now, friends, please don't misunderstand this. This does not negate the fact that it's still God who makes the converts, but we are his instruments by whom he shares his message. Keep in mind, we are talking about eternity, and so as long as, long as you're given an audience, y'all, do your best to, to present the truth faithfully and let God deal with the results. That's our job. Based on verse 24, even the great apostle Paul experienced the fact that some are going to hear the gospel and they're not going to listen. They're not going to receive it. Some will be convinced, sure, but some, some are not going to believe. And as long as we do everything that we can do to accurately present the good news, and if we make a proper appeal to listeners, we just have to leave it up to God what happens next. All right, we're going to finish up. Verse 25 and following. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. It's interesting here that, uh, I didn't pick this up, I, I saw this in a commentary, and it really stuck with me, though. He says, our fathers, earlier, but here to the unbelieving, he says, your fathers. Interesting. He's referencing Isaiah 6 here, and then he adds, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the ethnoi. They will listen. Y'all, in, in, in first century gospel presentations to Jews, that was a mic drop. That's what Paul was doing right there. Okay? There was nothing you could say with the possible exception of outright blasphemy. There was nothing you could say that would be more offensive to a hardcore first century Jew than that God had chosen those dirty Gentiles to be recipients of his grace. I want you to think about it. The first time a group of people, I'm not talking about Herod, okay? The first time a group of people ever tried to kill Jesus was when he mentioned God sending prophets to the Gentiles. In Acts 21, the people who tried to kill Paul in Jerusalem were hanging with him until he told them God had sent him to preach the word to who? The Gentiles. So it's, it's no surprise that this crowd dispersed after Paul made that, that final statement to them. And some of them, you know, they, they went home probably to their synagogues and began to spread the good news among their people. While the non-believers were probably further hardened against the truth, and probably made Paul out to be an enemy and sought to fight against him at every turn. Maybe some of those guys were converted later. We don't know. But a final thing I think we can learn from Paul 
is to live out our faith from a position of immunity. Live out your faith from a position of immunity. Now, to elaborate, immunity means being unaffected by something specific. It means your testimony in court, if you have immunity, can't be turned around against you to harm you. Okay? Immunity to a disease means that it's not going to do the damage it could do. I think Paul pretty much viewed himself as being immune to the consequences of what he said at this point for a couple of reasons. And I think we should consider the same two reasons. Okay? Number one, you and I, Christian, we are immune from the penalty and the power of our sin because it has been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you and I are 100% forgiven our sins and we are counted innocent before the judgment seat of God. So there's nothing we have to fear from from an eternal perspective, that is. Nothing we have to fear because Christ has already atoned for us by his death and he has already provided life for us by his perfect life and his resurrection. That is done. It is finished. We rest in God's perfect love, which casts out fear. And so anything that happens to us in this life as a result of sharing the gospel, think about this. That can only increase your reward in heaven. Jesus said so himself. Blessed are you when others make fun of you and they mock you and they persecute you for my sake and for the sake of the good news. Your reward is greater in the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, that's powerful. And then there's a flip side to this. If we belong to God and we have nothing to fear from him apart from the loving discipline of a heavenly father, as Hebrews 12 says, why are we worried about how people are going to respond? I mean, seriously, what is the worst they can do? Kill us? Send us to our heavenly reward quicker? What's the worst they can do? You know, most of us are not likely to be in that place where where we actually are martyred for our faith, although Paul certainly, he saw his share of persecution. We, We might get mocked, we might get cursed at, we might be, we might be mistreated. You know, at worst, we might lose some friends or or lose our status in the community. But you know, many Christians in the world today are losing their jobs. Some are being, especially in the Middle East, are being disowned by their families as though they were dead. Many are being beaten and, and imprisoned for their faith. You know, in some, some also Middle Eastern and, and African nations, Christians are being wantonly slaughtered by Islamic fundamentalists, and, and their governments are not protecting them. In North Korea, whole families of Christians, even toddlers, are apparently being given lifelong sentences in re-education camps. Did you know this? So yeah, there's some pretty terrible things that they can do to us in this life. (laughs) But if that's the worst they can do, they can't take away our eternal life, can they? No, they can't. Not even Satan can take away our eternal life. 
What does Jesus say? No one can snatch them out of my hand. Think about that. If we have eternal life, what do we have to fear? Everything in this world that happens to us because because we do what's right, because we speak the truth of Christ, because we are faithful to share God's word and live according to his call, it is only going to make our reward greater in eternity. That's a wonderful thing to consider. So church, we can consider ourselves immune to the fear of man because we are blessed to have the righteousness of Christ by his grace through faith. Friends, let's live in fellowship with the Lord and with one another. Let's walk boldly through the doors that God opens for us, especially when it comes to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Don't be too proud to beg, you know, for for your friends, your family, for people to repent and to turn to Jesus. And don't be afraid to trust him to care for you you as you obey his calling to share his truth. Living out the faith like Paul, it's not easy, but it is possible for everyone who is in Christ, even me, even you. But it's only possible for those who are truly in Christ Jesus, grafted into him through faith. Those who are only surface Christians with with shallow roots, they will fall away when persecution comes. We have to be good soil in order to bear good fruit. So what are you this morning? If you're here this morning and you've never professed your faith in Jesus Christ and never been baptized by immersion, as the Bible teaches, I I implore you, I beg you, repent of your sins and turn to Christ and be baptized. Believe. And if you've done that, but you've recognized that you're backsliding, I, 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 I beg you, turn again to Jesus. If you want prayer, we're happy to pray for you. This church will lovingly lay hands on you and pray for you to have a, a heap and helping of the Holy Spirit. We'll do that. Probably won't say it like that, but we'll do it. Or if you need some other sort of healing, we're happy to do that. If you're here this morning and you've never placed membership in a body that follows Christ, we we ask you, do that today. You can do that today. But listen, the Holy Spirit is, is, if he is moving on your heart, if he is convicting you, if you're sitting out there going, man, it sounds like you're talking to me, that's probably the Holy Spirit. It's not me. Man doesn't make converts, but God does. So listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him.